Love you, Marco. Uh, more impressions, please. <laughs> I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Where the hell did that come from? Oh, I love you, Marco. Oh, my God. You're a great interviewer, great conversationalist. I just never forgot you. <laughs> Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris, conversing about my cage wage whirlwind ways and my perspective of the film biz during those days. A fun, fluff-filled funk with guests relating to all things film biz. Today on the show, we have Leslie Hope, an actor who has moved up in her career to directing, writing, and producing. She was in town directing a TV series and stopped by after shooting for a glass of wine. We sat down and talked about her extensive 35-year career and the difficulties in thriving as a female in a male-dominated industry. I can't wait to see what you've got in your little notepad. Oh, I don't, well, I'm not going to ask all this stuff because it's over the top. Well, I want to I hear what you got. Well, <laughs> yeah, like, don't fuck around. Like, if we're going to do it, oh, you might I as well know, go I big. Know, I know. And that's what I was afraid of. So, so today we have um, actor and director Leslie Hope on the show. There's so much information. First of all, welcome, Leslie. Thank you so much for coming into my home to do this podcast, which is a, a real treat for me that you're in town and you're working and you're coming from work. Um, from what a twelve-hour day of yeah, twelve-hour day because I've overslept. It should have been a fourteen-hour day, but I uh, <laughs> I went past the five thirty alarm. Didn't get up till seven thirty. And I want to thank you for having me in your home. Oh my god! And serving wine. Can we just say that? Yes, that we're we are. Wine? We're doing a nice <laughs> okay. Shiraz wine tonight. A little bit of pasta, a little mm -hmm. bit of wine, and a little bit of bing, bada boom. <laughs> we're fine. We've got my little tech kids around, and they're helping out with all the technical uh, aspects of this uh, podcast. And you're in town because you're directing uh, the Murdoch's Mystery Series? I'm actually directing kind of two things at once. I, oh. I recently finished the pilot for Frankie Drake, which is a new show for CBC in Shaftesbury. So the pilot, I did another episode, we're doing pickup shots tomorrow, uh, and I'm in fact in the middle of prepping Murdoch, which I've been on several times now. I'm really happy to be on that show. And I, I'm in the middle of prepping that and go to camera in about a, a week and a half. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Was that in your notes? No, did it you was not in my notes. because it, that, And that's what I didn't want you to answer. I was, I was afraid of those kind of answers because I saw a few interviews uh -huh. and I thought, hmm, I'm not really sure how to approach this because she just knows her stuff way too well. <laughs> and uh, then I started to look back and was like, well, of course, because she's been, been doing, doing it for a so thousand long, years. Yeah. Which I didn't know that you were around for a thousand years mm -hmm. and looking fantastic. So before we go into that, um, because I did want to ask a few mm -hmm. of those questions, you were born in Halifax, but you went to school in Victoria. Right. BC. Well, my father was in the military. I'm from, I consider myself a proud Nova Scotian. I was born in Halifax. My mom's from there. My grandmother was from there. My grandmother was one of eight girls. Wow. And my grandmother and her sister married two brothers. I mean, I'm all over, the, my family is sort of all over the Annapolis Valley and in Nova Scotia. And while I identify from being from there, I was only born there. And then as a kid, I was there, but we go home there. My father, because he was in the military, we moved all over the place, which means all over Canada, a little bit overseas. But Halifax and Nova Scotia and the Valley was one place that was consistent that we'd go back to. Um, so I consider it still my home. I was just there last week. Oh, how yeah. nice. Yeah. I've only seen photographs and videos I've ever been, but That's I really just, good. it just looks wonderful. 
Nice, nice. So when you were, so then you went to, and you were raised basically in Victoria. Well, all, all over. So I mean, all over, but you settled in to go to school or university there? So No, I didn't actually get out of high school. I don't think that's in your notes. No, it? it's not, because I didn't, <laughs> I couldn't find that. Uh, yeah, high school dropout's not there. No. Uh, so the way, like me. <laughs> the way it worked was, I was born in Halifax, and I think the trajectory was Halifax, Sorel, Quebec, Victoria, mm. B.C., Kingston, Ontario, Toronto, out to Halifax, back to Victoria, three different schools. And in there, um, a little bit of England, because my dad was there working for um, something to do with the Navy, and um, Brussels a little bit, because my father worked for NATO, too. So that's my life with my family. They went on to keep moving around and doing stuff, but that's what I did. And in Victoria... Although I was there the longest, I don't consider it where I'm from or my home. I, I did a grade 7 in a public school. I did grade 8 and 9 in a girls' school. And then grade 10 through 12, well, almost through 12, <laughs> in a school that was a boys' school that had recently accepted girls. And it huh. was there that I, I worked in the first movie because it happened to shoot up my school. That's Because my parents were transferred to Italy, and I decided not to go to, to stay and finish school, um, which I didn't do. I should have gone to Italy, and uh, I shouldn't have stayed in school. Well, I didn't stay in school anyway, but I did the movie instead. Wow. I mean, was this something you wanted to do? Did you want to work in theater and, and TV and no, films to I be wouldn't. an actress? Was it, I mean, how did that emerge? Where did that just come from? Um, because if you're in your teens and you're in high school, it's what like... What are you doing? Yeah. Especially back then. Right. So I think a couple of things. I mean, to be honest about it, I was in that school and on that track because I had thought that I would be a lawyer. I thought that that was, and my parents thought that was the right way to do stuff too. Um, and I wasn't somebody who always wanted to be on stage or always wanted to be, in the, none of that. I just, I think I kind of had a big mouth. And because I was at a school that didn't allow for that, particularly from girls, it made me want to have a bigger mouth, which is to say, screw you, there should be a theater over the rugby pitch and... Why don't we have like art in the school? And why don't because it was an all boys school with all male teachers that had only had girls for a year. The ratio was six to one boys to girls, and so they they hadn't found their footing yet. They didn't know how to deal with young women slash girls in their school, um, and they certainly didn't know how to deal with art. Um, not at that point, anyway. So I was pushing against that, and I had a big loud mouth, and I didn't I didn't agree with how they were teaching, which is to say, what I understood to be rote learning. Hmm. Memorize, and I was good at that, and you know, do just jam your. You're great life. at that. Well, I don't know that it's anything but a but a knack. It's not a talent to memorize. It's just a knack, and so it doesn't have anything to do with learning or thinking or curiosity or anything that's oops, anything hmm. that's of value. I don't think so. That's a long way of saying I didn't really. Um, what the hell did I know? But I didn't approve of that learning as a or that measurement of learning. I was like, screw all this. I don't want to do any of this. I, uh, I'm going to be an actor, which uh, for me was just the furthest thing from what I was training for. And it was only to be rebellious and rude that I picked that. And then only by chance did they happen to shoot a movie at my school. And only by chance did I get in it because uh, I had certainly didn't know how to act and I certainly didn't have any understanding of what a movie was. And I, I just looked the right way to be in this movie and so I was cast and it was a big F you to that school I think and um, to that life mm -hmm. and on I went and that's what and you just thought that this is what you're going to do at that point 
just like that. Yeah, and it's I think, pretty well, rebellious of you at that time. I was. I, I think a lot of a lot of us now could probably relate to being feeling sixteen, or I mean, being sixteen and feeling mm-hmm. unrecognized or we don't belong here. Like that's a sort of common teenage plight, right? Yeah. And it just happened that so happened that mine was not only extreme but answered quickly because a movie happened to come to my school. Um, had that not come, I don't know what I would have ended up doing. But I was in a school that said in grade eight you picked your your profession and uh, mine was Harvard Law and yours might be Queens Med and somebody else was going to Yale and that was just the the organization of that school and I remember even then thinking that's crazy how do you know at 12 or 13 what you're supposed to do and yeah shouldn't we figure out who we are first I mean remember feeling that then I got lucky and a movie came and so yes to answer your question I thought okay there's my ticket out that and the fact that um, I fell in love with the sound guy and the composer, and that looked like a good ticket too, right? Yeah. Like, which is like, get out of this crazy world and go try and make art. So that's that took me to Montreal, and then from there I came to LA because I um, uh, I met Cassavetes uh, um, through that person that I uh, was with as a teenager. John Cassavetes. Mm-hmm. So ah. that was my first movie in the states. I met John. I was 17. I was down there for the American film market because that little movie I'd done when I was 16. And uh, he said some version of, you know, sweetheart, you want to be in a movie? I was like, okay, that sounds fun. That sounds good. Like, sure, I'd like to be in your movie, Mr. Cassavetes. Um, and he was so, uh, I mean, that's how he sort of made his movies, right? He saw, he collected people and yeah. brought in these interesting, weird mixes of uh, humans. And I just got lucky and was one that he picked, you know. Um, Anyway, so that's how I got to L.A. I met John, and he said, I'm going to write you a part in this movie. And I said, okay. So and John you went. Yeah. Isn't that something? Wow, John Cassavetes, because Nick Cassavetes and I were close for, for, for several years as friends. And, uh, of course, I'd never met John, and I'd met uh, Jenna Rollins a couple of times. And, of course, you worked with her yeah. uh, years ago. And, uh, wow, you met yeah, John Yeah, that was my first, my first gig in the States was with Jenna, and John was directing, and... I acted in that film, but I, I was so crazy about him and that way of working. That was a, one of the last movies he made. It was '83, mm-hmm. so he was ill already, but not as ill as he became. Um, and it was a movie based on a play he'd written for Jenna and John Voight. The play had been at the Court Theater in L.A. I don't know if you remember that it was on La Cienega. Mm-hmm. I do. I'd gone there several times. Okay, so John did a play there that he directed called Three Plays of Love and Hate. I think that's what it was. And one of those plays was turned into a movie that John Voight was supposed to do. And at the last minute, for some reason, Voight couldn't do it. So Cassavetes stepped in to play John Voight's part. So he directed, he acted, and very often, which I don't think a lot of people know, he operated the camera while he was in the scenes. So I swear to God. Oh, my God. So you'd be in a scene with John, and uh, too bad you can't see this, but he would be behind the lens... Those old days, right? It's not yeah. like a, it's not like that stuff, right? It's like a heavy camera yeah. behind the lens. You'd say your line. He'd stick his head out to say his line, and then go back behind the lens. And every now and then, shout out a direction and go back behind the lens. I mean, he was a, extraordinary. Not to mention, of course, he produced, and we shot at his house. So that's where yeah. I met Nick too, because Nick was still home, I think. Yeah, he was. He was a kid. Yeah. Still. So if I was just eighteen, so Nick, I think, is a little bit older than me. So maybe he was nineteen, twenty, something like that. Zan was still home, and Zoe was still home, and Jenna, of course, was in the movie, and it was really great. So you work on that movie, and at the end of the day, just like this, you gather in the living room or the bar. They had a real bar in their house. Yeah, of course they did. A bar room. (laughs) Yeah. Sit around and have drinks, talk about the day, 
and they were home. Like all they had to do was go upstairs and go to bed. Um, Isn't that something? It was something. Wow, what a time. It was. I mean, talk about, that's actually vintage Hollywood and that was in the 80s. Yeah. That would never happen today. Well, no, you can't even drink, right, today. I mean, you can't, it's against the law now to say, hey, transpo guy who's been so helpful and friendly to me, here's a case of beer for the boys. No, no, no. Or yeah, to it's the an insurance guys. liability. Hey, you want some, yeah, you can't even you can't even present it to somebody on set as a. Is that something I today? Years ago, I used to do that. I would give them all bottles of wine to each captain, or I would give them a case of I, beer, I, or whatever I preferred, it was. Like, also. I, I like to distribute cocaine. Yeah, if that wasn't available. I'd do like you know, goofballs and stuff for everybody. But yeah, oh. sure. Then I moved to wine, and and now nothing. Okay, well yeah. that's funny. <laughs> that is, that's funny. So that started you off on this career of, of being an actress and you started to work. Yeah, well, I think... And it just kept going and going. I mean, the, the truth of it is, I did that movie with John, I, for which I will be forever grateful to him and that experience. But even then, I wanted to be making my own stuff. I wanted to be directing or producing mm-hmm. or even writing. But I was 18 and you know an immigrant right I mean I was Canadian and I didn't have my papers yet and Mm -hmm. um, I looked like I was 12 I had this sort of fat face and you know curly I mean I really looked like I looked way younger than I was on top of which it wasn't exactly a time for a female anything right Mm -hmm. (laughs) like forget like executives forget development forget like there was no women that were working rarely um, in any sort of uh, grown-up position, very mm-hmm. few. Um, anyway, so the notion of directing and making my own stuff, well, it seemed like it was the right job for me. I didn't, I wasn't quite sure how to do it, but thought acting was probably the way in. That's mm-hmm. what I looked. I looked right for that part. Yeah. I didn't look right to be a director, but I looked right to be an ingenue, um, even though there was nothing about me that was an ingenue-ish. Um, but I looked like that, so. I stayed on John's movie, the, the Cassavetes movie, after I acted. I stayed and I worked on his crew for, in those days we had real shoots, like it was probably a couple months, right? It wasn't like a three weeks. Mm-hmm. And I worked in the camera department and I boomed and I worked in the wardrobe and I, you know, schlepped boxes and I, you know, learned to, you know, roll up cable. I did all that just to be around him and that experience. And he let me, which was, uh, I did props. You're kidding. No, and he was so cool. I mean, uh, that explains a lot. Does it? What does it, it really does. What it explains <laughs> is like, because you're, you're not some little, what I would call a chicky poo on a set. No. You're kind of like a, almost a broad, you know. <laughs> I would say you, not almost. Uh. Yeah, because you kind of take control. You are that person. You're you're a female and you're very feminine and you're lovely and all that stuff. But you know you're in there to get the job done. And there's nothing that a male can do that you can't do. And it should always be that way. But this is the 1980s, and now you're discovering within yourself that hey, I can be a props person. Yeah, I can do wardrobe. I can do this. I can do that. And why shouldn't you? And I saw it when I was you know years ago. And that explains how you kept transforming yourself into in, in different parts. You've played everything, you know, from FBI agents to lawyers to, and they're all tough characters, vulnerable deep down inside, but tough characters. And you work that well. And now you're a director as well as a producer, I think. Is that correct? You yeah, I kind of, uh, um, yeah, it is correct. I, uh, I went through that cycle, certainly of acting as a teenager and into my 20s but during that time I started directing short films and um, I started the theater company when I was 23 or 4 I guess 
who was the artistic director, the founding artistic director of a theater company in LA that ran for about 10 years. I had a partner, Charlie Stratton. But it, we were a writer-driven company. So we didn't, we weren't, we were actors too, but we were writer-driven, production-driven. So we had writers and directors and actors and production designers and a couple of choreographers and um, we made stuff. And that's that suited me. I was, like I said, I think early 20s, I guess. At I that know. age, and you'd only been there a few years. So well, you went from like... Five, six years at that that's, point, yeah. No, it's literally a few years because yeah. you went from basically high school, you were just a teenager, mm-hmm. and here you are in Los Angeles, which is a real male-dominated business, in the, especially in the 80s. In the 80s, it was rough. And I just, you know what, I just found out this. I remember it once I read it, but... You know that CAA, for example, mm-hmm. they didn't have any female agents when they started. It was a rule. Did no, you know that? I didn't know I that. I didn't know that either. No. I didn't know that either. So this is like the time that I'm coming up. So it's early, mid-80s. So there's there's no there's no female age like high power. Yeah. They started to come, right? Sue Mangers was sort of an infamous one. But they were yeah. really like rare birds. And CAA had zero. Isn't Talk about wild? a boys club. Yeah, seriously. It really club. was a boys club. That's it was right. a big macho boys club who all thought they heard, you know, they had like balls. It was the Jerry Brookheimer guys. It was yeah, like, that's we're right. all guys. That whole time was, I, I mean, know. I don't know that it's, honestly, like, I don't know how much has changed. That's a whole maybe other discussion. But yeah, it was. It Maybe it is, but it certainly was then. And it, But it didn't occur to me that I couldn't, do it now in my theater company for example i did have a partner who was a guy and um he was a really talented director and i did remember i do remember being in meetings with him and all the conversation would veer to all the questions would be directed towards him hmm. all conversation would go towards him i mean i was the one who was raising the money and i was the one who was producing the shows he was directing we ended up some producing some together but by by habit is the generous word. Yeah. But most times it would go through him and then he and I would go figure it out offside. But in those meetings, they wouldn't even look at me. Isn't that something? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's... I think now people are perhaps a bit more aware or could be called out on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, not so much. Anyway, so um, that's a sort of a roundabout way of saying that's what I was doing then. I started making stuff through my theater company. That makes a lot of sense. When I'm looking at these, these series, these female creators female mm-hmm. writers, mm-hmm. Uh, which didn't exist back then. And you're very much engaged with these people. And I've noticed that you have worked with a lot of females and that you're creating the shows and, and developing and directing. And there are lots of female directors on certain episodics yeah. that you're working with, mm-hmm. which didn't happen back then. It didn't. I mean, the the most that you would see then, in television anyway, mm-hmm. would be... You know, we called them the D girls, right? Development girls, because those were the shit jobs with no money. Yeah. So they were the ones who were reading the scripts first. They were the ones who were developing relationships with up and coming writers, and sometimes directors and actors too. But really, the writers, and that layer of women, yeah, uh, in the eighties, moving into the early nineties. Eventually, some of them started breaking through. So it's it became became less and less curious to see a female executive in the television system. It was seemed to lag a bit in the movies, but in TV, you started to see those girls turn into women, mm-hmm. turn into executives who had sort of positions of power, and they sort of started to move their way up the ranks. But certainly in the 80s and into the 90s, you, you didn't see that. Mm-hmm. There were a few, you know, Sherry Lansing, of course, and Don yeah. Stanton, but like in television, it was really, it wasn't something that you saw, and especially not showrunners. Still now, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, especially not uh, writer-producer types. 
certainly not directors then. Yes. Um, it's slowly changed, but it's still, what's the number? We're still under 10% in features mm-hmm. and I think under 15% in television. I mean, it's just a joke. It is so a joke. That's a whole other thing. I know, yeah, but I'm, I'm, and I, I noticed that, that you have worked with several female directors and creators and stuff on these shows. And I'm, uh, I was very impressed that you're directing. You directed uh, Ghost Wars. Yeah. As well. And uh, were you, you weren't in Ghost Wars. I didn't act in Ghost Wars. I just, uh, just in quotes, directed it. That's a new show for sci-fi. It's coming out. I think it's premiering the first week of October. Kim Coates is in it. He's great. Okay. Vincent D'Onofrio is in it's it. It's grueling. I saw the Did uh, you trailer. watch the little trailer? And I had a heart attack. <laughs> I had to watch it twice. I was like... It's so much I'd fun. Have to get How do you have fun with that? So you're... And I saw that you've directed all kinds of things. So from drama to ghost wars. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you go from Murdoch Mysteries to Frankie Drake series to... Ghost Wars. Well, I think the. I mean, the the reality is that right now um, there's a. It's terrifying. A, that 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 show looks terrifying. Ghost Wars is really cool. Yeah, that was really fun, um, and it is it's super scary and great. Um, the fact of the matter is that, like any shiny penny, which I am right now, and that won't last. But we all know what that is. Yeah. For a moment, you have a kick at the can, and I think I'm in that moment. But there's another thing, which is, um, you know, I went to go direct Ghost Wars, but I I work with those producers several times as an actor and as a director. It's um, Nomadic Pictures, which is Chad Oaks and Mike Frisleff. And I did my first TV movie for those guys that I directed. And I came back and did another TV movie for those guys. And I acted for them. Actually, in a thing that Nick produced, Cassavetes produced, um, uh-huh. uh, Paul Johansson directed, that Jenna was in. That's where I first met those guys from Nomadic. So I went to direct Ghost Wars for them. But those guys I've worked with a bunch of times as a director okay. and as an actor. So that's Ghost Wars. But Sci-Fi, which is making Ghost Wars, mm-hmm. signed off on me because last the year before I directed Aftermath, which was a series with um, Anne Heche and uh, James Tupper. So I was in that sci-fi circuit. And then there's the reality that they have to hire so many women, frankly. Mm-hmm. And so that list is short but mighty. And yes. I think I'm on it now. So I think that's part of what happens. And then it starts to build and then you get repeat business, right? So Murdoch is a little bit of repeat business in terms of Frankie Drake because mm-hmm. Murdoch was the first episodic and that's Shaftesbury and CBC who are doing Frankie Drake. So Do you find them to be similar in terms of uh, content because they're, they take place around the same time? No, I think, uh, well, I mean, we're trying not to. I directed the pilot for Frankie Drake, so I had okay. uh, some input, of course, into what that looked like and what it sounded like and how we were going to try and separate ourselves from Murdoch and yet do the shout out to Murdoch because that's the you know the foundation from which the show could come. Yes. Murdoch's 1905, Frankie Drake is mid 1920s. Murdoch is Murdoch and we're female driven. Yes. Um Murdoch is much more authentic in terms of the period, the reality. They're very uh they don't do anything anachronistic or try not to on Murdoch. We okay. are much more of a blend, so our music is it's, while it's female voices, it's modern music mashed with a bed of 20s jazz. Um, the women are always on the go. They tend to be a little bit more um, on their back foot in uh, Murdoch. So we just tried to to mess with the model a little bit. I don't know if that answers your question, but they're, they are, they're related. They're like cousins. Yes. And, and uh, on the Frankie Drake series, mm. it is a female Asian lead. Is that correct? No, it's... Am um, I making a mistake uh, there? No, it's um, uh, Lauren Lee Smith... 
and Chantal Riley. So Chantal's a black Canadian actress who okay. come, is a Broadway girl from uh, Lion King. <laughs> and uh, Lauren Lee Smith, of course, is a Canadian actress who's had a bunch of success here and in the States. So these two are partners in crime. And we're, like I said, 1920s uh, Toronto. And these women are smart and sassy and drive motorcycles and drink gin and have sex with boys and wow. don't apologize. <laughs> you know? 1920s, yeah, that's crazy. Right. How does it feel? Are you getting the respect that you think a male director would be getting um, in, in terms of respectability? Is transferring from a uh, an actor to a director and still doing both and doing different genres of directing i mean are they seeing it as it's like oh we've got to give it the perk mm. or is it you've already you, you you've already shown them that you're you're what you're made of well, i think it's complicated because uh these are a lot of different things that you're directing right and there's no question that i'm an actor or i come from being an actor yeah and um so I think it depends who you're working with. And I would say that that for any industry, right? I mean, it's, sure, do I walk into uh, onto a set as a director and somebody who may not know me or may not have worked with me make an assumption that, well, because I'm an actor, I might not know where to put the camera, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I don't care about those people, and pretty soon they'll figure it out. Yeah. I just, what I what I bring to the table as a director now is certainly informed by all those years of being an actor mm-hmm. and let's face it a female and also a mother and Canadian and I lived overseas and like it all sort of goes into the mix but mm-hmm. I really feel like at the end of the day just because I prefer to pee sitting down nobody gives a shit they just want to know that yeah. I can run my day and that they can get out in 12 hours and whether I face that when I come in, I don't usually face it by the end of the first day. Mm-hmm. Once I'm on the floor. Getting to that job in the first place, mm-hmm. sure. I mean, you know, I'm I'm going to meet on a job as a director for somebody I worked with when I was 20 years old as an actress. I mean, they're not going to assume, maybe, that I'm a director. But again, they, they usually figure it out by the time I'm done with the meeting. Yeah. But that being said, the numbers don't lie. And at the end of the day, it's shocking how disproportionate the numbers are in terms of female directors versus male for a job that does not require cock and balls right it doesn't really, I agree at the end of the day it doesn't matter I it's, didn't know that you know and being in the industry I mean I'd never met a female director yeah just, just uh, think about that for a second you never I met, never a, met female a female director, director. and you work Unless with a major a movie star yes. right they do but, documentary uh, some, they sort of probably don't shave their short. legs yeah. they kind of shuffle along with sturdy yeah. shoes and who knows they're a bit pat right like are they are they really pretty yeah. maybe you know, they have this whole sort of thing that we've carried along like tough production gals yeah that's right or they're ball busters who come up through the ranks maybe they were continuity girl and now they're gonna whatever maybe an ad yeah maybe an ad like she could at least run the set right and she's probably a cunt right that's that's what you can step into now and i've seen that Sure, we've all seen it. it. Yes. Listen, uh, me too. You don't have to be that person, but some of those people are those people. They feel like maybe they have to be that person to be in that position. I'm not sure, or if that's who they are. But listen, I don't think it's. I don't. I don't think it's easy for guys to get a job. It's just proportionately more of them are getting them. Yes. I don't think it's a slam dunk for you know working Joe directors. I think they're struggling to get jobs just like the rest Mm -hmm. of us. But nobody's identifying male directors 
first by being male. Female mm-hmm. directors are identified first by ovaries, right? Yes. They don't, when, as an actor, I can tell you that I never walked on set and they said, hey, guess what? We got a guy director coming in this week. Yeah. The assumption is some schlubby guy's going to come in wearing a baseball hat and Levi's yeah. and he's your director, right? That's, that's, usually, that's, that's who your guy is, that's right? That's exactly what I'm right. used to. But if you're a female director, what they say is, hey, guess what? Special treat. We have a female director or yeah. a black director or, or even gay director or yes. Hispanic, never yes. Asian. When do you hear that? Never. Not yet. No, rarely in television. Yeah. I don't think I've worked with an Asian director in TV. I've worked with two black directors and probably uh, on two hands, maybe I could count the female directors, but hundreds of, of guy directors. I've done hundreds of hours of television, so I've worked with hundreds of directors, yeah. right? So it's that identifier that you have to, because they're identifying you first by gender, Mm-hmm. If you're female, not if you're male. You get past it for sure, but I actually think it's still a real issue. It's always a struggle when you walk in the door. It's like you have to prove yourself in the, on the very first day or in the first six hours, in the first couple of days, and then you're in. Well, and the other thing that happens, I think, which, you know, I think any, in quotes, minority can relate to, minority within whatever the field is, mm-hmm. is one represents all. So... You know, I actually heard this once. Oh, yeah, we tried hiring a female director. It didn't work out, so we're not hiring women. Yeah, ridiculous. You never hear, the guy director didn't work out, so we're not hiring men. Yeah. <laughs> so it's as if somehow we all represent each other. So for better or for worse, you know, when I hear stories about a female director who, for whatever reason, it didn't work out so well, it's like, ah, oh, it's bad for all of us. Yeah. And when you hear a great story about somebody doing well, it's like, oh, it's good for all of us. But I don't think typically male directors are dealing with that gender identity in terms of because it was always a male-dominated business i mean it was was built for males they never even thought that females would be coming up the ranks and starting to direct you know they were and of all the jobs it's funny because there's certainly plenty of female producers now plenty Mm -hmm. of female executives now like it's that's not so weird anymore yeah you you see but directing and dp is sort of like this weird Mm -hmm. last frontier where there's so few women and neither of those jobs for any reason you could conjure make any difference if you're female or male. I agree. I mean, I, agree. I I'm glad it's changing and it's here and you're one of those people breaking the mold and it's still only 10%, but yeah, something like that. I mean, you know, ridiculous. Even yeah. 20% is ridiculous. Yeah. Let me ask you a mm. directorial TV question. When you have a series and there's a uh, 12 episodes and they have 12 different directors, tell me how that actually works. I mean, I don't know. As an actor or as a a a director. director. So you're coming in on a show and uh, you're coming in on episode number six. and They've already shot five of them. Mm -hmm. And you don't know much about the show, but now you've got to fill yourself in the information of what really happens on that show. And how do you pick up where the last director left off and it's a continuous series and you have the same actors and, and here you are the next person directing this. How does that work? I mean, I saw that there's a whole bunch of different directors for different shows. Right. Well, I guess it depends on the showrunner. It depends on your boss. It depends on lots of things. It depends kind of on the actors. It depends on the DP. In, in my case, I've directed my first episodic job. It was four years into a show. Mm-hmm. So I'm a keener. So I watched all episodes up to the episode I directed. So okay. three years worth of episodes. Um, it was my first job. I was really sort of anxious, of course, to do a good job. So I wanted to see the template of the show, what worked, what didn't. And I wanted to play by their rules. And I, I feel like... As a guest director, that's the job, is you're there to deliver to them. You're not there to reinvent the wheel, right? You're right. to deliver their show with, of course, you can't help but put your stamp on it, but it's that's the gig. 
I've also, you know, I've done that. This year I directed a pilot. This year I directed episode two and three after the pilot was done. So it wasn't finished, but I came in right after. I directed last year, I did episode 11 and 12 of a 13 episode season. So I was right near the end. So huh. it, de- it kind of depends on the showrunner, how strong the look of the show is, how collaborative the DP may or may not be, how willing the actors are to play with it. Um, why did they do that? Like, why don't they uh, have the same director for, for 10 or 12 episodes? I don't know. I think it's a Doesn't fashion it, that's maybe... It's been going on for day. years. I've yeah. heard about it, but I didn't really ask anybody. I mean, I'm used to feature films. But why are there... I saw on the uh, show you had Jason Priestley was, was directing... Uh, an episode. Yeah. I forgot which one it was. Ghost Wars. Oh, Ghost so Wars. So Jason came in. He's part of, remember I was saying earlier, I work with those guys from Nomadic. Who, mm-hmm. uh, with TV. So the first TV movie I directed, uh, the way I got that job is, for example, in this. So I acted in a TV movie that Jason was directing. He acted for me in a small part the, in the movie that I was directing. Then... Uh, he, he was sort of part of that um, a cycle, a stable of directors that that mm-hmm. company works with, myself now included. And so you think, well, here's reliable people who are going to deliver in a way that we like, and maybe we want to have dinner with them. That's yes. what I think starts to develop in terms of why you'd go back to the same place, but why they have so many. I think, honestly, it was to spread the power. As television really? sort of stepped into the writers dominated, it was not a director-driven medium. It was the writers who had the power or the creators, mm-hmm. the writer-producers. So the writer was now determining what a show looked like as the writer-producer-creator. They were saying, okay, we're going to shoot this all with blues or we're going to do this kind of camera movement. The directors then became... Mm, Higher help. To, yeah, to, 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 to fulfill the vision as written, not as directed or photographed, but as written. Well, why don't they have the same person? Well, that's. Uh, I worked in one show where they where they did on twenty four. Stephen Hopkins directed the pilot and directed every other episode. So we had a consistent vision, and everyone that Stephen didn't direct, they peppered in a new guy because that was sort of the style. Isn't that of a it? lot of pressure for that new guy to for come in sure. because he knows it's for the regular sure. guy's going to be in there, and it's like, well, what if it doesn't flow the same? What That's if it, right. it's got a different look, a different feel? What if the actors are now performing the same? They're not getting the yeah. right direction. I mean, isn't it complicated? I mean, can they just? I, mean, well, I think what you? it sort of speaks to is that the value that television places on a director, which is much less than mm-hmm. in a feature, right? So in television, we say the writing is king and probably the actors and often now the music and, and how it's shot, right? So the director is there simply to repeat, right? The, the schedule set, the ADs stay, the DP stays, the actors stay. The director comes and goes. I describe it, it's like being invited to somebody's house for dinner except you're cooking, right? And you don't know who's got an allergy or <laughs> who, who won't eat meat or, you know, who can't stand it when you use whipped cream, whatever the hell. But, like, you're coming into somebody's home, opening mm-hmm. up the fridge, going, uh, it's hamburger I'm supposed to make, right? It's hamburger. And so I think it speaks about the value placed on what the director brings in terms of television. And I think mm-hmm. this idea of cycling through a new person every week, which they do, they've done, I think it's starting to actually fade now. You're starting to see more regular directors okay. in terms of a, a series. And you're starting to see, I just talked to somebody who's doing that new series, um, Anne Moira, the, the creator of that show. And she is committed to having a smaller group of repeat directors 
so she can maintain the level of the show the way she wants it with people she trusts and believes in the actors are used to blah 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 I think that personally is a smarter way to go I yes mean, it, I would always think that's the way to go yeah. I mean I'm just surprised they do it the other way yeah. let me ask you about you directing a few TV uh, movies of the week mm. Three of them had Christmas themes. Uh, yeah. I never I want to see another twinkle light as long as I live. <laughs> so I was like, I, was, I looked this stuff up and was like, that's a Christmas theme. It's a Christmas. Now, they hired her to do three different over a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I saw there's Edward Asner was on Christmas by the Bayou. Uh, you had the Cheers duo in the Marian yeah. Laws. And, and I'm just thinking, okay, there's comedy here. It's lighthearted. It's very, uh, very lifetime. It's yeah. very Harlequin. It's very Christmassy. It's, mm-hmm. do they want a female director? Be she brings in the sympathy and the, the sensitivity to this. Um, <laughs> I to, think that's the to idea. To the story? Is, <laughs> is that what's... I don't know if the proof is in the pudding or not. Here's the thing is lifetime movies, which those all are, I've done four of them, three Christmas and one not. Lifetime in particular, oh. at the time when I was sort of coming up as a director, well, I would just say it, Lifetime didn't really care who the directors were. They really cared who the actors were. Okay. The directors were there to deliver a certain product in a certain amount of time. There's a lot of oversight into what that product would look and sound and feel like. But I think, and what I did in my case, I traded. I said, yes, I will give you my acting services and the thing that Jason Priestley directed in a Christmas was it Christmas? No, it was a winter movie, the one I did for him. Mm-hmm. That was what, they did two kinds. They did Christmas movies and thrillers, women in Jeopardy movies, right? So I did a woman in Jeopardy thing for Jason, for which I said, I'll give you my services, you know, bargain basement prices, and in exchange, you'll let me direct. They were making about 80 movies a year. Wow. So the odds are, even if I'm a complete disaster, it's going to be okay. Yeah. These movies shoot in 12, 13 days. They're what? kind of like TV. They sort of make themselves. That was my next question. Yeah. They're really? Super, yeah, they're super fast, and they're a great way to train, and it's a great credit, but particularly as I think as a female, at least when I was starting to do them, I call them the chick ghetto. Like you can get stuck in lifetime, <laughs> like in chick jail, yeah. you know, banging your metal cup against the bars and going, let me out, no more Christmas lights, no more sassy tykes, no more single moms reuniting with their childhood sweethearts because they have a formula, right? Yeah, yeah. And no more Same Santa, like 40 no years. more Santa, please God. But they work really well for them, you know, I mean, they do. They're actually really good. And Some I actually, of them are, I right? like them. I call myself a chick with a dick. Yeah, well, there you go. So I'm kind of like chicky, Me too. Chicky. Yeah. <laughs> so. so we're all horrible. Then we can high five on that yeah, that's one. Right. <laughs> uh, and that's what, that leads me to that next question. So you're directing these movies of the week. And I've, I didn't know how long these films. So I would think that they take five to seven weeks. Oh, that's hilarious. For real. Because <laughs> I mean, I, I used to feature films. Yeah. They're yeah, like, no. oh, it's five months to shoot this movie. No, it's no, like, no. Oh, six no, no. months. Oh, I'll take up smoking in between scenes. Yeah. But these are... Yeah, these, so are like, think- these are like a, the television model applied to small movies. And they start... When I was starting to act in them, they were... You remember like 24 days which seemed very short to do a movie. And then yes. they all bumped down to 21. What? As an actor, I remember this. And then they bumped down to 18. And when I started directing them, my first one was 12 days. For a TV movie For of the a week. TV movie. Now, how many are you working? 12, 15 hours? What 12 are hour days, including lunch. So really 11 hours of shooting. It's impossible. And yet somehow you do it. You one. just rush through everything, whether like two takes, one take, in, out. Well, Setups are quick. Lighting is what you have just to do in is, and out. Um, you have to think of it like a, how I thought like of it. Like soap anyway. operas. When nope. that, no? You have to think of it, I think... Like the New York Times crossword, like they're very clearly defined, you know, lines and boxes, and you have so many pieces to fit 
in those boxes. And if you can get that puzzle right, I'm using my hands as I'm yeah. talking to you. Um, if you can get that right, you'll have a completed good movie. But you, the work is all in, to me in the preparation of those movies. Like, and for sure, you're not doing a ton of takes. But really, what you're trying to do is artful coverage. How can mm-hmm. I tell this story cleanly and sparely with the you know with the amount of time that I have? It's I'm here to tell you it's doable. I mean, I saw them, and whether or not you like my movies, I can tell you they did really well, and I'm happy with them. But they have a kind of um, trope. I think they might be moving away from it, but uh, you know, it's like I was sort of joking. There's a, it's a single mom typically. Yes. There's a sassy, wise child typically. Yes. And typically, you're reuniting with a childhood sweetheart, and somehow Santa's in there. And usually, there's a non-believer who, by the end of the movie, believes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they make about eighty a year. Yeah. Uh, and, and you still really cry. Well. I mean, and you I, always and I cry. cry. Somebody always. cries. Yeah. It's and like the way we were. You're always going to cry watching yeah. that movie. Doesn't um, matter how many times you see it. Yeah. So that being said, um, they're a great way to train for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, how is the prep in that? Now, how long is it? So you're saying, if let's say you do an 18 day shoot, what is the prep? Locations, direction, and studying with the actors. So oh. actors come if you're lucky the day before they shoot. Ah, so different from feature films. Totally different. I've never done TV, so I'm just totally different. Really, that's why I'm asking all these yeah. questions. Listen, I, I feel like I know so much, and then I know nothing. So well, it's about a month of prep. We're about talking a about month. Yeah, blueprints. You're talking about storyboards. You're talking about location shoots. With typically, you're on location for those movies, right? You're in some yeah. state that has a tax rebate, typically, mm-hmm. or a province, um, as the case may be, and you're typically working with a crew who grinds these out in the off season. So they're doing higher budget series or features. Like, for mm-hmm. example, oops, I keep knocking this. In Calgary, wintertime is a slow time for the crews because nobody wants to work in minus 27. In my case, minus 45 at one day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the crews are there to like do make some money in the off season and then go do you know a John Woo movie or yeah. something that comes in in the summertime or, you know, that's how those are going. But you're working with a team that's worked together before. It's sort of like television. You're coming into a machine that's already in motion. Uh, so it's. I'm here to tell you it's doable. And unlike, you're talking about television, unlike doing episodic, even though it's that quick of a show, you are creating that show. As the director, it's still your purview. You decide who you're going to hire in terms of casting, with the approval of the studio, of course. Yes. But but your, it's your world. You make it. In television, you're there to serve somebody else's, typically, right? An episodic, anyway. Hmm, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. And, you know, you mentioned soap operas, and I want to just say something about that, because, you know, they get a, a rap, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a soap opera, is a pejorative thing. But I just want to acknowledge that those people are typically shooting 40 pages of material a day, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, a feature, ta- they, they sit around, you on the air on those Nick Cage features, you're going to do a page a day. Oh, not even. Uh, right, exactly. And somebody brings oh, you a no. latte. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And they, they want to, they wake lattes? you up from a nap to yeah. let you know you're ready to shoot, right? Even yeah. the grips get breaks, <clears throat> right? On television, it shrinks down so exponentially. And then on soap opera, even more so. Yeah. So I have a, t- let me just, you know, say that I have a ton of respect for oh, I do too. people who can do that and care and do that well. It's, a, it's extraordinary, I think, um, the mm-hmm. people who are able to navigate that. 
A lot of good actors came out of soap operas. I mean, probably a few hundred. Yeah. You know, from the 60s and 70s and 80s, and they, they popped up and became superstars, the Alec Baldwins of the world yeah. and so many others. Many more. Like, there's yeah. a lot of people that went through those. Jennifer mm-hmm. Jason Lee, I think, was a soap mm-hmm. opera actress for Pretty, a moment. M- Most of them. Now, the, the other thing, though, is that I did a movie a couple of years ago um, that Guillermo del Toro directed, and hmm. I met him as an actor on The Strain, and then I had a small part in Crimson Peak as an actor. And Charlie Hunnam was on the movie, right? So Jessica Chastain, movie star, um, Tom Hiddleston, movie star, and Charlie, who's awesome, but had come off Sons of Anarchy. So he's used to a TV schedule, right? So he's used to, whatever they do, a nine-day episode or something on Sons of Anarchy and a certain pace. And we step into the world of Crimson Peak, a feature which felt like a decent pace to me. It was probably three to five pages max a day, max, closer to three. But... Charlie was going out of his mind, like, what are we doing? What's taking so long? Like, he just, that was just a different rhythm. So I think it's, you know. It's they bit... tweak to death is what they do. <laughs> I remember John Malkovich on Con Air looking at David Tattersall, the cinematographer, and he's British. And so he's just it's like, right, well, we're just going to put the light here. And then we're just going to tweak there yeah, and tweak right, there. Right. And, and Malkovich says, let's shoot. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, he gets off that plane because it was not on stage when they were, all the convicts were on the on Con Air mm-hmm. and he walks down the ramp and he's like, oh, we're just going to tweak. No more fucking tweaking. We're shooting or I'm going home. Right. We're ready. Right. Cheerio. Let's right. roll, please. <laughs> it was so funny. Right. The director was British. The cinematographer was British. They were buddies. He's just like, oh, right, right, right. We're ready. Shoot. Yeah. Oh, the actor's ready. Right, 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 right too funny and it took like eight hours just to tweak three lights they're just like no put yeah. that little film over here and I'm, yeah. I'm watching I'm like so I can understand where that's coming from and that's like we're doing a one eighth of a page yeah because of the special effects there's a green screen and a thing and so I don't know how you guys do it Sometimes I have like six seven either. lattes during the thing <laughs> right. it's like I gotta go to the bathroom again blah right. blah blah I mean I had my own trailer and it's just like well call me when you the had your own trailer as I a did stand-in? I always had my own trailer it was in my contract but that's what I call it <laughs> that's gangster you oh, did yeah, that oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah yeah I enforced it I was really diva-ish I was well they didn't want me on a set after that but now I had my own trailer I had my own studio car I had my own hotel anywhere I went I had I had okay, listen, let me car. just give you the I'm directing yeah, right now I had a I'm taking the subway to work okay yeah. <laughs> because there's no money for for drivers during prep for directors Isn't I take the subway something? to work yeah mm-hmm. wow I would bitch if it's not like the the right time of my first class airfare ticket to and from LA and the right limo company picking me up from LAX with my sign and my name on it. That's how much of a diva I was. And that's the film world. Mm -hmm. But that was, you know, and I'd never worked on TV. You know, that's why I'm asking these questions. It's like, wow, look at all this stuff. What do people do? We have another planet that we live on. Yep. It's nice planet. I like your planet. Yeah. I like to visit your planet. It's pretty good over there. Well, I didn't know because I didn't do anything else. So I went straight to that. Right. And it was just like I I ended up on Cage Wage World because there was no other world that I knew. So it was it was a bizarre world to start off with and then I was done. Right. But wow, that whole TV thing. I and here I'm writing down a five to seven. No, maybe I should write down six to eight weeks, it sounds like for a TV movie. I mean if we're days, doing six 14 months. Days, yeah. Fifteen days. Oh yeah. my god, that's just a special effects crew on a second unit. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. one boat scene to go across two minutes right. of the thing, you know. And speaking of that, yeah. you were in a series called The River. Yes, I was. How on earth? 
did you live? And I talk about a chick with balls to get on that thing in the bar. And I saw this, it was like, <laughs> like I wouldn't do it. Let me tell you, I wouldn't go in the ocean in the movie City of Angels in my clothes in Malibu. I'm like, I don't do that. I said, right. that's a bump. I don't stand in the water. You get that guy. I'm not getting wet. The water is cold and there's seaweed. So here you are, the lead actress mm -hmm. on this series with Mr. Greenwood. Yes. Uh, who I never ages this man. I know. Great guy. Actor for a thousand years also. Yeah. Um, and it was what, in Puerto Rico? Not the whole thing. We shot the pilot in Puerto Rico. We shot the series in Hawaii. Oh, in Hawaii. Yeah. Because okay. it looked really rough. Um, grim and rough. It's funny to use the word grim with Hawaii, right? Well, um, not But Hawaii, in some but, ways it was. You know, um, what I saw. I didn't know it was Hawaii. Yeah. So, if you, I think, you, yeah, we had the show. Here's the thing about that show, which um, it was, you know, I, we only did it for, I think, eight or ten episodes or something. Mm -hmm. can't remember now. But it was a short-lived series. We were a great... By which I mean, we got along so well cast. And we had a wonderful, and it's lucky because we spent most of our work days, all of us, on a boat together. So it wasn't like, oh, we're just going to do a scene, you and me together. It would be however many, there was eight of us, 10 of us on a boat with a crew going up and down a little narrow inlet in Hawaii, which was sort of for the oh. Amazon or the Amazon tributary, mm -hmm. like up and down back and forth all day long on a Ugh. boat with no bathrooms. So, oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I know. oh, I'm seasick no room already. For Where's um, my wine? Yeah, that's right. Listen, cheers. Uh, <laughs> but oh. it was, um, it was Bruce Greenwood for one who mm. I adore. Uh, I actually adored that entire cast. And uh, we had terrific bosses. Um, Zach Estrin and Michael Green were the two uh, writer producers on that. And, in the way that you hear about but actually happened on that show we all kind of stuck together in a really good way and became a kind of unit pretty quickly that being said I'm, I have a phobia about the water and um, I had to do a gag I think that's probably what you're talking about where I had to be I think grabbed by the ankle by for some dead spirit or something and yanked by, you know, face down across the mud into the water to drown and I'm afraid of the water like I mean afraid afraid of the water I don't swim so I'd be terrified yeah I don't swim either oh. um, so I can just tell you that I'm screaming for my life like for real because I'm really really scared and not not cool scared like I'm gonna piss my pants scared like I'm gonna cry weird scared like I, and, and there's nothing photogenic about how I was be behaving during those scenes I also I think had to be buried alive in that and that's not my phobia so that was okay like but I think on that show, Ugh. I got buried alive. Oh, that's what it was. Everywhere we went, there was some kind of weird contaminant. So I got buried alive. And they're like, hey, you know what? Why don't you put this wetsuit on under your clothes just in case? Like, just, just in case. Mm, just in case what? Like, what? Which is dirt, right? Like, what? Turns out there's this huge contamination in this area that we're shooting in. And I'm just going to say it now because it's over. I get this gnarly ass... Rash, rash from my ankle to my mm -hmm. neck that nobody can quite figure out. It took months to go away. What it is. It was whatever was in that dirt. There's some contaminant in the yeah. dirt. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff happened on that show. It was just a... But at the end of the day, you wrap and you're in Hawaii. 
And that's pretty awesome. I mean, I worked in Hawaii, but I, you know, I just, I didn't see the awesome part of it. I saw the work part of it. I don't care if I'm in Hawaii, I'm doing this shit or dragged by my ankles and you get scraped and you're cut and you're tired and then you're infected and you're like, and I always say, is it worth it? I mean, I consider it to be abuse, but it's part of the scene. It's just part of this job. It's like, do you really want to spend your life getting knocked over and, and, thrown into this or being in some, you know, in Puerto Rico in this this boat and there's mosquitoes and bugs and cucarachas and who knows what's going on. And, you know, they don't have time to scout out everything. You're not right. really sure what's around you. They do the best that they can, but you don't know if there's broken glass underneath things or you don't really know. Like, that freaks me out. Um, and you're okay with it. Well, I'm not okay acting it anymore, but I'm certainly okay directing it. Okay. <laughs> so, I, no, I'm not going to do it as an actor. It's unseemly, okay. right? It's like, I don't want to, I'm 52. I'm yeah. not going to be oh dragged my God, on my, you know, uh, clawing mm-hmm. the dirt into my phobic nightmare of underwater simulating a drowning, not yeah. entirely confident that I'm going to live. Like, I, no, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to be photographed in abject terror. I don't need to be photographed doing much of anything anymore, I have to say. But as a director, I think, oh, that'd be cool to shoot. How would I do that? You know? yeah. So I, I think it depends on, you know, what do you want? Yeah. How do you want to live your life? For me at the time, it was great to work with Bruce Greenwood. I had a great time working with those bosses. I really liked um, the attempt they were making in the show, the conceit of the show. Mm-hmm. I liked the actors. I liked being in Hawaii. So for me, it was okay. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> not funny. for you. No, not for me, not at all. I yeah. mean, I wasn't even into being in Hawaii. I was just like, I'm in Hawaii. What? It's just like, what we oh. were doing wind talk is it's a war film. We're like, squibs blowing up this yeah. and that. And just like, no, not good. No, uh-huh. no on set at 5.30. <laughs> rain, thunderstorms, no, finishing at eight o'clock, no, none of it was good. It's like they, I remember when we finished wrapping there and then we had to move the production uh, to some northern part of LA. Uh, We were doing another two months after being there for three months and uh, they had given us the option of hanging out in Hawaii. We were staying in the original Hawaii Five O hotel. Forgot uh, what it was so called. Waikiki, was that? Yes, yeah, in Waikiki, yeah, uh-huh. and the production was like an hour away. You know, it's always yeah, that way. We drive. It was where yeah. they filmed Jurassic Park and stuff. Yeah, we were there too. Yeah, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the the ranch. Yeah. Um, so that driving they did back and forth and all that. We yeah, could go everything. That. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. So and so we were on the thing. You know, the hotel had cucarachas at this time. Yeah. It was just like oh, the cockroaches. It was dated. I'm just like, what am I doing here? They're like, do you guys want to stay? We had a two week hiatus. So they offered people to stay. The hotels cheaper are free. to stay than yeah, to fly you out. Yeah, yeah. And fly, well, they're going to fly us out anyway. Right. But you want to be flown out and put up in LA because I get put up everywhere I go because it's my contract. No matter where I go, I'm put up, and uh, and I get a car no matter where I go. I don't care what the country is. I get a car or an SUV, but nothing under um, four door sedan. <laughs> So it's, it's in my deal. Can I just uh, say again, I took the subway to work? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm directing, I took the subway to work. Yeah, uh, I, keep, keep I felt yes. like, now I feel like I was abusing everybody, but it was actually written in there. And uh, of course, I chose to leave Hawaii immediately. I was yeah. just like, I'm not staying here. I'm just like, I've been here three months. I'm out of what this hellhole. I'm done. This is a fucking shit. I'm going shit back hole. to where? I'm done. I'm like, let's go back to LA mm-hmm. and make sure that the hotel's nice. But uh, <laughs> I call you now the quadruple threat because now... You're, you're, of course, you're an actor, you're a writer, mm. you're a producer, because mm. you produce some shorts and documentaries over time and will in the future. And now you're a director, mm. both on TV and, and film and, and so forth. So it's like a quadruple threat. And truthfully, you're still really young. Hollywood, you know, it's not the Britney Spears thing, but <laughs> in what you're doing, you're, you're still as energetic and 
youthful as you were 20 plus years ago? Well, I wouldn't say that about acting. I would say about acting that um, I'm done, which yeah. is to say I'm not. it's not interesting to me. I'm not enthusiastic about it. Um, what about the right part? Not really. Decent part. Really? What, what, what's a decent part that's better than directing? Pick one. Uh, I don't know. You've had some great roles. Some I, 24 I and suits and, and powerful roles, like really good, strong roles. Sure, and I've worked with great directors, and I've worked with extraordinary DPs, and I've worked with amazing actors. But if you're acting, yeah, somebody's telling you what to do. Yeah, that's not interesting to me. I'd rather work with people, and certainly, the older you get as an actor, if you're not, let's say, Nick Cage mm-hmm. or, or um, whoever, fill in the blank, someone's going to tell you what to do, and that's okay if. They've got a good idea, but your job as an actor is to not just fulfill the role and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you should stand where they tell you. And you should turn into the light if you're asked. And you should pick up the pace if the director says whatever. You know, like yes, there's all these. And, Happens all the time. Of course. Mm-hmm. And that's the job. And that's not fulfilling to me when I'm working with material or circumstances that aren't challenging to me that I haven't, you know, that I've that I've done before. Yeah, it's not that much I'm going to be asked to do at my age, at my status level mm-hmm. that I haven't already done. I mean, I can tell you right now what I'm going to be wearing as wardrobe on my next fill in the blank episode, playing Attorney General, CIA high-end car. Like, I can just tell you what the wardrobe yes. is already. I can tell you what the part is already. Yeah. I can tell you what file I'm going to pick up on what line right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that goes, right? I mean, that's yeah. not. I'm not going to reinvent any wheels. And then there's many actors who not only are better at it, but who want to be there doing that, who yes. can still find something. It's not as interesting to me now. Um, but would you do it if it was, let's say you, you co-wrote a project, then you're going to direct and act in the Why? show. I'd get a better actor. There's lots of better actors. And that's not a fishing expedition. That's just truth. Mm-hmm. Like there's many extraordinary actors mm-hmm. my age, females okay. that could like kick the shit out of anything I could write. I love how humble you are. That's not being humble. That's, like... a, that's not humble. That's just a reality check. Now, having said all that, I have this little project right now that I'm trying to get off the ground that I would produce and act in. It's the part super scary, kind of scares the shit out of me. It's with Bruce Greenwood. Bruce is going to mm-hmm. do it. My buddy Jason Priestley will do it, and Rosie Sutherland's in it. And it's a tiny movie. An old friend of mine who's a great director, Jerry Chicorini, is going to direct. It was written God, with he's me in mind forever too. Yeah, that's God right. God bless that guy. Yeah, God, he's good. He's really good. So that I'd be interested in because I don't know how to do this part, and it's sort of scary, and it's the right part for me. But I mean, come on, like how much. The way I would say it is, my worst day as a director is better than my best day as an actor. So I'm just more interested to be directing. And many actors are more interested, of course, just in acting. And that's cool. Like, I have a ton of respect for them. It's just not me. And it's never really been me. I just sort of fell into it so I didn't have to be a lawyer. And because I I was biding my time until I could direct because I looked like I was 12. I mean, you know, it's a full circle loop back to what we started talking about. That's how I got understanding. I just wanted to make some money. Just like I fell into it. I met Nick Cage and that was the end of it. And it's like I couldn't. And then I thought I got to get out of it because I I need to get into real estate. And that was all I thought about. And then I'm like, oh, I got a say card. Oh, I got an after card. Oh, I have an actor card. Oh, it's like, oh, that's nice. What do we do with all these things? Listen, there's a ton of actors and and I'm sure you know a lot of them Mm -hmm. who are actors. 
Yes. They live to act. They're fulfilled by acting. They think about acting. They that's that's that defines them. That's their mm-hmm. their life. I was never that actor. I was. Oh, you'd never know it. No, no. I mean, you... I'm really not fishing as much as saying yes. like I I had a responsibility to my job and I yes. was committed to it, but. Rarely was I, and I work with some really great directors. When I work with great directors, I was really into it. But that's because typically, if you're working with great directors, it's they they see you, and you're there for a reason. You're yeah. not just, as I call it, breathing furniture. Like you're there for they want you to be there because of what you bring. Yes. But those those directors, particularly in television, are really hard to come by. Um, and my my sort of career led me more into TV than film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that being said, if Guillermo del Toro asked me again to do anything for him, I mean, walk across in the background of a scene with a cup of coffee, like a you know the extra who, yeah. who just moves the camera across the, the, the space, in a second I would do it just to be around that guy. Like I'm not well, yeah, if that's yeah, what yeah. I need to do to be involved with people like that. Of course I would do it, and that's a privilege. Um, by the same token, if he asked me to do craft service, I'd do that too. Like I just think he's extraordinary. Uh, but that has nothing to do with acting. That's just mm-hmm. my way in to see guys like him work, you know. That's nice, as you're still learning from that. That's that's incredible. Let me ask you, uh, Leslie, is it difficult to transfer from a um, TV director to a film director? And is that in the works? Do you think it's going to be happening soon? Does uh, that happen? Does it happen? I don't I, know. I, I'm I not mean, really sure. I know the commercial directors go into big blockbuster type of, you know, <laughs> and Brookheimer does that all the time. He always hires a commercial director to shoot these crazy ass films. Right. Um, but does it happen? Do they, do they translate? Well, they certainly, I mean, they certainly can translate. It's like, uh, but it, would you it, like that to happen? And is it a possibility? Is it realistic? Um, well, in no particular order to answer your questions. Sure. I'd like that to happen, but because I like to direct. Yes. Um, but I, the, the amount of days I'm accorded to direct, while it can have, you know, I mean, any feature director will tell you, oh my God, we've only got 200 days. Like, everybody says the same thing. If you're yeah. directing a soap opera or a feature, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough money. Nobody ever says, God, what am I going to do with all this money? Jeez, I don't know how to fill my day. Like, yeah. it, everybody's got the same proportional problem, <laughs> yes. right? So, of course, I would be happy to be working in um, features, but not because there's more money, because proportionally I don't think there is, and not because there's more time, because proportionally there's not, yes. but because the understanding in features generally is it's the director's world. Mm-hmm. Television generally, it's the writer's world, and while I write, I'm not a, a writer by trade, right? So my interest is in making stuff, period, however I get to do that, whether it's an episode of TV or a feature or a commercial or a music video or a yeah. play or it doesn't matter to me as long as I can direct I don't, I don't care what the medium is as long as I can direct with people I want to work with well it seems to be happening now I'm going to backtrack on one last question yeah. and then we're going to wrap it up okay. I just have to because it's now it's called now it's vintage yeah. first season of 24 it's Terry Bauer. I just now well it's now it's vintage. vintage it's ridiculous to say that but it truly is looking lovely short hair smooth nice Pretty girl, the smooth, wife of. Smooth. <laughs> well, I thought so. Um, what was it like to do that, and why were you killed off after a season? Oh well, it was uh, awesome to do that show. 
It was. Um, and how fast was that shot? Like per day? I mean, what was going? I mean, what was it like? That was a standard TV schedule, which is to say, it was a seven-day episode, which okay. is at the time lower end, but standard. Um, and we shot that in 2001 into 2002, and how I know that so well is because 9/11 happened when we were hmm. shooting, um, and because our show, our pilot had shot, but not aired I don't think I think we were shooting the first episode after the pilot and in the pilot there was a terrorist act where somebody's on a plane and took the plane down like all that had happened in the pilot and they remember they had to completely reconfigure that and make it less realistic because of 9-11 so that's 16 years ago right yeah Uh, so that's part one of that's how I remember the beginning of that show was somehow horribly we were topical um, that's part one. The other thing was, it, creatively, there was a time when a movie I was going to direct had just fallen apart, a small, little, t- tiny, low-budget movie, and I sort of went dragging my heels to an audition for 24. I was like, I don't want to do this stupid thing. I don't want to, do I don't want to, I don't want to be an actor. I don't direct. Man, I'm so, so sad my movie didn't go. And I went to this audition and got the job. Like, oh, okay, that's good, I guess. That's was that I, in L.A.? In L.A. Okay. And... Coincidentally, because those producers had done Nikita up here in Toronto, they mm-hmm. had a fondness for Canadians. And just in that first season, we had quite a few. And I remember being sort of proud to be Canadian to be on that show. And oh, you know, nobody thought it was really going to go anywhere. And in fact, the ratings were not so great for the first 12 episodes. So we thought we'd be done after 12. There's this weird little, about episode 12, there's a weird little mini ending where I think Kiefer sort of rescues me and Alicia, who played the daughter. And we're about we're going to live happily ever after, and we because we were waiting to find out if we were picked up for the back end of the show. We were, so it was going to be like twelve instead of twenty-four. Um, I remember it being an extraordinarily creative, collaborative time with Stephen Hopkins, the director I mentioned earlier, Kiefer, of course. But just the whole show, we were shooting way out in the valley. And this it was too far for studio executive studio execs to come visit us, so we were kind of off the books, you know, off the grid out there. That mm-hmm. was great. But the thing about that show that I think is so interesting now in retrospect was this was the internet in terms of shows and people watching shows was just starting. So mm-hmm. people were starting to theorize on the net about, it wasn't really happening up until then, about what's actually happening, what's the secret message of the show, what what do they mean when they put the coffee cup that has Chicago Cubs on it on the table, is that a clue, who's the, who's a, who's the good guy, who's a bad guy. And all this speculation was happening on the net, in chat rooms and forums and stuff, which was relatively new. And then the other thing that was relatively new is because the show did so-so in the ratings, it was re-released over the summer on, on air, but also in DVD. So people oh. could binge watch. And that was the way to watch that show, right? To watch one after the other, after the other, yeah. after the other, as opposed to a regular TV thing where it's like you break for a commercial. So that was one of the earlier shows that did that, that said, watch through, you know, watch 20, 24 straight hours of TV. And people did. Or over the course of a couple of days, like people yeah. just, and now that's normal for us, right? We're going to sit down and watch seven episodes yeah. of some show we love. Oh my God, House of Cards is back. I'm going to watch eight yeah. episodes all weekend. Um, so that, I remember all that, but why I was killed, I can say is because it, it was a really good idea. Um, and it's hard to think of now, but at the time it was really a bold move for television to have the hero Kiefer mm-hmm. spend 
24 episodes trying to rescue his wife and daughter and fail. Right? Like that didn't, yeah. they didn't do that in TV. Not to mention, I was shot in the pregnant guts, right? Like yes. the Nina shoots me and the unborn baby, yes. she shoots me in the stomach. None of that stuff was happening on TV. And it was, uh, it was so, at the time even, we didn't know that it was a good idea. Kiefer fought Fox to say, I can't, I'm a loser, not a hero. Nobody wants to watch a, a guy lose this, this war, right? That's a terrible idea, not so sure. It was like all this sort of blah, 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 back and forth. And we didn't know what the answer was until, I didn't know until the day before it aired. Because huh. we shot an alternate ending where I live. I think we shot two, no, just one alternate ending. I live, we sort of w walk off into the sunset and everything's going to be okay. Hmm. Terrible. When you think of it now, like what a yeah. terrible ending that would have been for that. For, it was just like, oh, whatever. Like, but the fact that the rules changed in that show, I think... Yeah, I don't want to overstate it. It's, at the end of the day, it's a TV show. But they said, anybody can die. It's all up for grabs. What you expect is going to happen may not happen. Everyone's under suspicion. The hero's a bad guy. Kiefer's going to do bad shit. He's not going to behave, always do the right thing. Um, no one's always going to do the right thing. And coincidentally, it was sort of topical. So, I, I mean, I feel to this day, it's one of my favorite experiences I've had as an actor and as a person. I just loved yeah. that job. It was so great. Those the crew was great. The cast was great. Nobody was watching over us. It was at, groundbreaking at the so time. Yeah, certainly really now was. it's no big deal, right? Of course, yeah. everyone dies. But on that's a show. what I'm saying. It's like it's you it's, know, like, it's vintage now. Television. Yeah. It's like something that would have happened like 30 years ago. It was just like 15 years ago. Yeah, and not but to it mention was a big the format. Deal. I don't know if yeah. you remember, but it was like it had you know screens Different. playing at the same time, yes. which was a new way to look at stuff too. Mm -hmm. So. It just sort of, and that ticking clock, which seems so silly, but it was like, it put you so in. It did. Show. I've seen other shows that have applied some of those conceits and it doesn't work as well. I mean, it only doesn't work as well because the show's not designed for that. That show was built for that yeah. conceit, you know? Um, so I feel pretty fortunate that I got to do that. And while it didn't feel like it at the time, uh, somebody said to me, Stephen Hopkins actually said, you got the best year. Like, it will never be like this again, right? Huh. Even if the show could get better in a way, yeah. the actors could get better, let's say, and he's going to have a better love interest or whatever the thing is. Yeah. But to be in that moment of it, that time, that particular season, that, and not to, and to, for none of us to know it was going to work, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think you do that once, and that's pretty good, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you did it. Me too. <laughs> I'm so glad you did it. You're going to look back for a thousand years on that because that was a groundbreaking show, just the way everything was done. So good on you for that. Well, not me. Good on Good on. Well, Stephen good on Hawkins. them, but that, that you were in the show as well, it, yeah. as you accepted it and did it. So, Leslie, um, how are you feeling? We're going to do a little cheers. Okay, cheers. Because uh, I think it's kind of time because you have to work tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you came to Toronto to work, not to mm -hmm. hang out. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is fun, but it's, you know... Mm. So thank you so much, Thanks Leslie for Ho, for coming in, for coming out here into this hood, and uh, and knowing that you have to get up what five o'clock in the morning, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I will speak to you soon. I appreciate thank it very much. This concludes our conversation with Leslie Hope. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This is Marco Kira signing off. It takes a red-headed woman Get a dirty job done